WPSL Port St. Lucie. And now it's time for We're Just Christians, live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to We Are Just Christians. We really appreciate you listening today. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be with you for the next hour on We Are Just Christians, taking your calls, comments, questions, anything that's on your mind is to show about spiritual things. And we emphasize the fact that we ought to go back to being just what we find in the New Testament, and that is just Christians, not loyal and not following the doctrines and teachings and traditions of of men down through the centuries, but trying to find out what the New Testament says, what the Bible as a whole says about any subject. And so we invite you along that journey. We talk about pretty much anything on this show. We bring up current topics, and some would call them political, cultural at least, topics, and we relate that to what the scriptures say. We talk about what people's personal experiences in religion or churches are thinking on their mind about something called metaphysical matters, why is there suffering, you know, things like that. We talk about a lot of different stuff on this show. And uh, we then try to relate. If you call the show, and I'll give you the numbers in just a moment, you can call us. Uh, we make a promise to you that we're not here just to argue with you about something or to set you up, you know, to attack you or something like that. We want to have a discussion. So we're going to give you whatever time you want to explain something uh, uh, that you want to say or to ask a question. We'll go to the Bible and try to find scriptures that relate to that as best we can. So you can take those and read them and then we'll give you the last word. That's what we do on the show. So we'll be glad to have you join us. In that endeavor, if you'd like to call the show, there's a, here's the call-in number for live conversation, 772-340-1590, 772-340-1590. That's the regular call-in number for WPSL. You know, if you call shows like the Swap Shop or other things, you get, you got the number already, 772-340-1590. We also communicate with people during and uh, during the show and during the week with two text numbers. My name is Mike, and as you heard, and I have the text number 772-260-6120, 772-260-6120. And then Gary Jones, my partner, how you doing, Gary? I'm, I'm here this morning, Mike. <laughs> Didn't even greet you earlier, but anyway, Gary Jones is also a host, and he, his number is 772 260 6220 Now, maybe a live call or a text doesn't suit you, or maybe you're listening to a recording, and these recordings are available uh, on our website, which is weirdjustchristians.com. Uh, you can, if you're listening to a recording or you can't contact us live, send us an email, uh, which is justchristians at att.net. Just Christians at att.net. We'd be glad to respond to an email and, and carry on a conversation with you. So thank you for listening today, and we would invite you to participate in the show. Got a couple things we want to talk about. I do want to say this. Next week, we will not be live. We've made a recording for, for next week. I'll be in Houston, one of my son's and grandchildren's houses for a week. And so we, we made a recording, and um, on a particular topic that someone asked about. 
So that will be an interesting thing if you want to if you want to. Oh, we could probably tell them what the topic is. We I think we uh, I think we talked about are there uh, are there spiritual gifts today like in the New Testament? Well, miraculous souls, miraculous gifts, miraculous gifts. Their duration, their transmission. Does God mm-hmm. promise in Acts two thirty eight about being forgiven of sins and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit? Does He promise the gift of miracles to every Christian? And so forth. We, that was a question that was asked us. We we did a recording on that next week, so you can tune in uh, there and hear that. And then you can respond. We're not trying to cut off discussion, but that was something we thought we could do in a recorded show that would be of interest to people. <clears throat> Today, uh, I want to deal with this for time as much as we have with another question this same listener asked uh, about, and that's because they they because of listening to the show, they attended our worship. Uh, assembly. And what I probably, Gary, I would say the first thing that most people would notice, well, you and I wouldn't notice it because we're used to it. The first <laughs> thing that people would notice when they attend a worship assembly here or even walk in the, the church, building when they walk in and right on the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard is that we do not have a band and a, a drum set. We don't have huge speakers to play the music from the guitars and the bass player and the, or even the, the or, or organ. Even the more traditionalist, there's no piano sitting up yeah, there. No, so we don't even have we do not we do not use mechanical instruments of music. So it says, why don't you use instrumental music? I believe we do use instrumental music, which we'll discuss in just a moment, but we do not use mechanical instrumental music. And it's not just because we're quirky. I'm sure you could find lots of reasons to say, well, you guys are just weird or quirky. Okay, I can accept that. But that's not the reason we don't do that. We don't do that because we don't believe we have any biblical authorization in the New Testament to use mechanical instruments of music. And neither did historically the churches uh, from the New Testament period down for several hundred years. They didn't use instruments either. Now today they're so ubiquitous, Gary. No, that's not because that's not because. Person. Yeah, but Mike, let's point out that's not because they did not have instruments of music well, back they did, then. Yeah. yeah, they had flutes and lyres and 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 those they had, had those in the Old Testament. Yes, but so the New Testament churches had made a choice not to use them. Why? Well, we think it's because they didn't have any authority from the apostles to use them, and that held true for a long, long time after the new testament period but now churches gradually even the catholic church was was against them for a long time now has instrumental music baptist churches now use them you almost ubiquitously one of the most famous baptist preachers of all time and if you're a baptist listening you'll recognize the name charles spurgeon in england in the late 1800s Spurgeon had a church of over 10,000 people in, in London at one time and was is still one of the most widely read and quoted Baptists of all time. And a great I have some of his books, but he said, I would sooner pray with machinery as I would praise with machinery, meaning play music. So his church in London, the most famous Baptist of all time, did not have an organ when all the other churches in New England did at that time, he wouldn't use them. Why? Because he said they're not in the New Testament. Well, and they don't praise or pray with machinery. That was Spurgeon's view. So, so I'm just so hang on a second. I'm just saying, first of all, it's not that we're just quirky and want to be different. We have a reason. Now, if you want to listen to the rest of the show, Gary and I can give you 
some reasons why you should consider what we're saying about this subject. So, and if you do attend, and we'd love you for you to attend, you won't be shocked. You might be puzzled, or you you, you might like it. You might not. It doesn't matter if you like it or not. That's not why we do it. We don't use. I'll never mind. I'm getting a far afield. What were you going to say, Gary? Mike, even uh, even the Eastern Orthodox Church does not use instrumental music to this day. And if you ask them why, they'll say they have no authority to use it. It's interesting because one of the arguments made by modern modern denominational people about using instruments, they go to Ephesians chapter five, where it says, sing and make melody in your hearts to the Lord. And they they find that word make melody, which is from the word solo, P-S-A-L-L-O. We get the word psalm from that. And it means to pluck. And they say, oh, well, that meant use an instrument. It always they will say it means use it, sing and use an instrument. Well, two things about that. Number one, that that's meant, true. You would always have to use them. If I ask people today, if I ask a typical Baptist or even a Catholic, do you have to use an instrument? Can you just sing? Oh, sure, you can just sing. Well, not, not if that not if solo means use an instrument, because well, you'd have to use it. But secondly. I would think that the Greek Orthodox Church understands Greek. Probably. <laughs> that, that might be true. Yes. That they understand the usage of Greek, and they know that that word does not mean using an instrument. It means to pluck on something. And the question is not whether it's plucking. What is being strummed or plucked? And is where, it the human where? heart, or, or is it a mechanical instrument? Now, where is that melody being made? And it says, in the heart, in your heart to the Lord. So there are several reasons why we don't use instrumental music. And um, one of the things I was surprised about, Mike, is how often when it is mentioned, it's mentioned in the context of edification or teaching or talking to others. It's what it's for. It's all teaching. Yes. That's why we have the lyrics of the Psalms and not the musical scores of the Psalms. Okay, in the Old Testament. Because the word of God is conveyed in language or in words. Now, we accompany that with different kinds of music and down through the ages. And there is some. But what we would call what we call. Um, let me say this. I can say it backwards. What they call singing in Bible times. And even down through history, what they call singing, modern people would most likely call chanting. In fact, this word "ado" and some of the other words really convey the idea of rhythmically chanting something. It was a way to memorize the words. It it can kind of like we say, we teach a child to learn his ABCs by A B C D. Yeah. You know the song. I right. know the song. Everybody knows the song, right? And uh, even people with dementia remember that song. That's how. So it, it's a learning device. But what are you learning? Are you being edified by the by the music or by the words? Well, according to the Bible, edification is not a feeling that you get. Edification is a change in understanding. It is a learning experience. It's a building up because of what you learn, and that can only be done by words. So that's why when we come here, we our music. I haven't even got to the scriptural parts of this, but let's just look at the Well, what you're talking about is in 1 Corinthians 14 and 3rd to 26. Our singing is a group thing. It's not a performance. We don't have a two or three people performing for you. We don't sing in our worship 
so that we can all be pleased with how well we sound. And isn't it artistic the way we're singing this song? We sing four-part harmony here. And some people sing all, some people sing four-part harmony. People like me just kind of croak along, you know. But uh, you don't have to do, it's not a performance. It's for each person in their heart to join together and join in the singing as a worship to God by the thoughts and by their heart. So well, this, as you come, yeah, we're going to invite you to sing with us. And you can sing. I don't care if you have any musical training or not. We sing simple songs. Let me, let me quote Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I mean, that's exactly what it's for. And you have the same similar reading. First Corinthians 14 is much like that. He says, how is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Including the psalm. Right. Reading, as right. Now, Ephesians 5, 18 and 19 say, do not be drunk with wine, which is wherein is dissipation or excess, but be filled with the spirit. Here's that Holy Spirit people want. How do you become filled with the spirit in Ephesians? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So here are three kinds of singing, as it were, what we would call music. There's three kinds of music in the New Testament. There's psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Hard to know the exact differences. Psalms would be more particularly singing, singing the lyrics and the psalms of the Old Testament. The hymns were religious type songs that were directed particularly to God, I think is the way it was often used. And then spiritual songs are songs that are encouraging one another to lift up the spirit of the people that are hearing them. And you do this by singing and making melody in your heart and literally in Greek with your heart to the Lord. So we we use an instrument to sing to the Lord. Or to, to, uh, we use a musical instrument to praise God with in this church. That musical instrument is our heart as it sings or is plucked, is strummed in, in service to the Lord. He makes no mention here in these verses. And you can read nine or ten verses of the New Testament about singing and about worship and singing, or singing in worship, I should say, and you find nothing about this. Now, Gary, we have a phone call, so we'll, we'll come back to this. But let's let's just go to the phones. I don't want to keep Laura waiting. I've done that before. I don't want to do it again. Laura, are you there? Uh, yeah, good morning, Gary. Good morning, Mike. How you doing? Oh, blessed and highly favored. It's good to be the daughter of a king. I appreciate you saying that, and we're thankful that you called in. What's on your mind? Um, well, I'm just wondering because I don't see whether they use an acoustic guitar, a harp, you know, or anything, the difference, or even acapella. Some churches use different. Some people are afraid to sing acapella. They haven't gotten to the point where the spirit sings through them. And I would hate for anybody to think they couldn't use instruments because God honors everything that's done out of gratitude. Well, using instrument, 
using instruments would restrict the, the music in the church to only a few people by its very nature, because very few people can play an instrument enough to do it in public. Everybody can sing. Can everybody sing well or as well as they would like? And the answer is, of course, no, but that's not a requirement. It's not about singing well here. It's about singing praise to God. But music instruments, and even, Lord, here's the other thing. If you go, people often go back to the Old Testament, and they say, well, in the temple they had this, in the temple they had that. But I want you to think about this. In the temple, in the Old Testament references to using instrumental music, these were specifically appointed groups of people, like certain of the Levites or the sons of Korah. These were specifically appointed people who played specific instruments. He only lived, they had lots of instruments in ancient times. He, he only appointed Wait, trumpets and cymbals and things like that, not all the stuff that people use today. So right. you have, if you want to go back, what's that? Which would be your praise and worship team. They are. No, no time to but play those instruments. Not though, no, no, they're not using the instruments listed in the Old Testament. They're using whatever instruments they want to use. That's the problem. That's one of the problems. That's one of the. Problems. And, and here's the other thing: in the Old Testament, those priests who were doing the singing and so forth and playing, I should say, were wearing specific priestly garments and had this room filled with incense and so forth. People want to bring over Laura. They want to bring over the musical instruments because they like it. They want to leave behind the priestly garments and the sacrifices that accompanied these and all the blood. They want to leave all that behind. Judgmental statement. What's that? Necessarily, I know tons of people who worship whether they sing a cappella with an acoustic guitar or a whole band who honor the Lord with all their heart and soul and new people trying to sing a cappella that it needs at least need a chord and made to feel like they fit in that is the love of god but but it's not it's not a matter of fitting in when someone comes in our service and they sit in a whole i'm sorry i'm over talking you what that's okay when someone comes in our service and and they sit in a group and we all sing they can all join in to whatever degree that they are comfortable with. There's no, but, but uh, they don't, we're not using, we're not drowning out that by, by the extra music. And I just, we just don't find any authority in the it's New Testament to do this. Huh? It's a company of men. It's not drowning out. Well, okay. I, I know people have come to this church. To, uh, we're getting off the subject, but I know people who have come to this church to visit, Laura. And they have ta- they've told me, well, when I went to the other churches in town, they handed me earplugs when I moved, went into the, came into the building. They thought I needed earplugs to join in their worship. If that's accompaniment, I'm not sure how that works. Now, I know that you can have accompaniment, but... but the point I'm making, though, is if you're going to if whatever is brought, whatever kind of worship is brought into the temple of the Lord, as it were, must be authorized by the Lord and what he wants. When all the way back to Cain and Abel, Cain brought a sacrifice of what he wanted to give God. And Abel brought a sacrifice, apparently, from the book of Hebrews, that was what God told him to bring. 
God accepted the worship of Cain. He rejected the, I mean, he accepted the worship of Abel and rejected the worship of Cain. So don't, don't think that any kind of worship that I offer up under any circumstance, as long as I'm sincere in offering the worship, don't be under the delusion that that worship is acceptable to God just because I want to give it. Because we have too many examples in the Bible. When David was carrying the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, he didn't do it according to what the Lord said. And they were singing, and it mentions there in First Chronicles 13, they were singing and dancing and playing as loud as they could, all the instruments. And as soon as Uzzah reached out and touched that Ark, he struck them dead, struck him dead. So the lesson there, and David learned this lesson a chapter or so over. You, you if you're going to worship God, you're going to have to do it exactly the way God says. And and so he moved the ark and set it up the way that God demanded. Now, that lesson means something in the Bible. And it meant something to the church for the first five to eight hundred years as we look at history of the church. Well, what I challenge people, what I'm challenging would challenge you to do, Lord, is go to the New Testament. Find me some indication that New Testament churches used mechanical instruments in their worship. And I can tell you ahead of time, like you're going to have a very difficult job. Huh? Midnight to work the graveyard shift can't spend the first 10 minutes of his 24 hours with the Lord because he gets up at a different time of the day. See, this is where you bind people. Do not bind them by the confounds of this world. God is way bigger than any time frame and any human thinking. Well, I understand that, and, and that's why I respect his word. Since I know God has been... Freedom to play a guitar, to play a drum set, to sing a cappella, to 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 bang a tambourine. How anybody worships the Lord in their heart is nobody else's business but theirs. They choose to bring it into well, the... No, it is the Lord's business. It's God's business. That's the fact. It's, a, it's God's business how they worship. I'm just challenging the idea that you can do whatever you want to in worship, and it'll be fine with God as long as you're sincere. I don't think that's what... That's not a New Testament principle. It's not an Old Testament principle. John 12, 48, he says... He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Now, in the last day, what we do in worship is going to be judged by what we're told to do in Scripture. So I, I, I think that what, what this is what's happened historically when you go and I'm sorry, Laura. What's that? Let me let me present to you another thought, Laura, about this. People often go back. The, the, where you'll find the instruments in the Bible are in the Old Testament under the law of Moses. You'll find symbolic references to symbolic instruments in the book of Revelation. Once again, only being played by spe- only specific instruments played by specific people. You'll find that in the book of Revelation. But. In the Old Testament, what you find is people want to bring stuff from the Old Testament over to the New Testament. They only bring over things that they want to bring over. They don't bring over things that 
maybe things that God has authorized. They bring over stuff that they want to bring over. Now, uh, hang on a minute here. I've just lost my place on where I was. But we, we need to I want you to consider this argument. In the Old Testament. They, they had the temple and then they had the, they had the tabernacle within the temple. And there's no dispute to me that they brought in musical instruments like trumpets and lyres into this temple. And at certain times, under specific directions, they use those certain people use those instruments in a certain way. There's no dispute about that. But before they brought them in, before they brought them into that temple, they had to take those instruments and sprinkle blood on them to sanctify them to be used by God's priests in God's house. They had to sprinkle blood on them to purify them or to make them holy. They didn't just take their guitar from home or their amplifier set from home and bring it into the temple. It had to be sprinkled with the blood, like God said, with the hyssop and scarlet and all this kind of stuff. And so they brought them into the temple that way. Now, my question is, uh, um, for example, it says in uh, Hebrews 9, 8, uh, that when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats and water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled with the blood of the book itself, all the people. He sprinkled even the book, said this is the blood of the covenant which uh, God has commanded you. And likewise, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And therefore, it is necessary that the copies of these things in the heavens should be purified with these, with blood and, and sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices. Now, what he says is everything that was brought into the temple of God in the Old Testament was brought, was sprinkled with blood. Now, I'm going to ask you something. This is a parallel to the New Testament church. The church is the temple of God. We are temples of God. If I'm going to bring any instrument into the house of God, into the temple of God and play it in worship to God, it has to be sprinkled with blood. Whose blood can you sprinkle on an organ or a guitar or a drum set? Well, none. No, bulls and goats won't do it. You can't sprinkle Christ's blood on that organ. On the other hand, I bring in the instruments that I'm talking about, the New Testament talks about. I bring into the temple the human heart and the human emotions, human mind. Has, has my heart been sprinkled by the blood of Christ? Has your heart been sprinkled by the blood of Christ? Yes. And so I can use that instrument to play and sing to God in God's temple because it's been sprinkled with blood, Christ's blood, to be made holy. Now, that's the parallel that I would draw between the old and the new. And it's not about whether I like it or whether I don't like it or whether I prefer it or all that, it's about whether what the New Testament authorizes to be done. So the only instruments God authorizes in his temple today are ones that have been sprinkled by the blood of Christ. What do you think about that? Okay. Uh, I'm sorry, it says Laura hung up because she was upset she was getting stepped on. Well, I apologize for that. I, I couldn't hear that she was talking. So I wasn't trying to talk over her, uh, but I must have. It's, it's this system that's being that we have to use uh, has a delay, and sometimes I don't I don't hear it. The truth is, Laura was stepping on me too, but uh, 
because we couldn't hear each other in our in our headsets. So I apologize for that, Laura. Didn't mean to do that. Please call back. We'd be glad to keep talking about this. Jerry, I think, is on the line. Jerry, are you there? Uh, good morning, Mike. Good morning, Gary. Uh, I just wanted to add that uh, in the Lutheran Church, uh, the term vestments and vestibule, and the vestments would be the attire that the uh, pastor puts on, and the vestibule, I think, is where he would uh, put his, uh, his attire on, and as we uh, said before in the earlier show, uh, uh, a priest's uh, daily uh, garb is called a, ga- a cassock. cassock. Yes, I think I remember you talking about that. That's right. Cassock, and a nun's attire is called a habit, which she wears every day. But uh, I just wanted to uh, verify that, and uh, vestments and vestibule. I just wondered if I was correct about that, Mike. And I'd just like to listen off air, okay? Well, that's great. Well, you know, the thing that's interesting because, Jerry, I know that vestments are the official clothes that many denominations and priests wear um, based on what I was just talking about, that the priests of the Old Testament had to wear specific kinds of clothing to be able to serve in the temple. They had to be a certain length, they had a certain material, they had to have certain kind of ways to tie them, all kind of stuff that they had, a certain kind of headgear, uh, belts, uh, shoes, everything had to be exactly as specified by Moses. Now, mm-hmm. I never knew that a vestibule, though, was the place where they changed the vestments. That may be true. Um, it, what, do you, what do you think that points out to them? That you, They had to be careful about how they tied these things, they had to be careful about how they put it on. They had to be careful about what it was made of, what color it was. What do you think that says? <laughs> the, the point is not a physical point. It's a spiritual point, isn't it? Well, the, the point it, is God what, you, what you bring into the worship of God has to be very strictly under God his control. Wants. See, the whole point of worship is not doing what you feel that you want to do or what you think has been, is in your heart. The whole point of worship is to bring what the creature that you're or person that you're worshiping wants. Worship is about the person who is being worshipped. It's not about the person doing the worshiping. This is the modern misconception that that you see reflected so often. That worship in modern American churches and Protestant churches and even Catholic churches is what the is what the worshiper wants to offer God. It isn't a function that the worshiper has gone to the scriptures, the word of God, and just and tried to find out what God wants for worship. The worshiper just say, I worship a, a huge God, like Laura was talking about, a, a magnificent God. What does he want me to do? Not, oh, I'm gonna since he's a worship, since he's a magnificent God, let me do something I'd like to do for him. That's not worship in the Bible. Worship in the Bible is me saying, what does God want? And going, like Gary's saying, finding out what that is. And in the case of the Jews, he tried to hedge them in by saying, you wear these kind of clothes, you do this. Now, in the New Testament, my point is that the New Testament is the spiritual fulfillment of these Old Testament laws. So we here at the church on Sabona don't bring over the special clothing for a priest. I'm not a priest. I don't have special headgear or anything else because God didn't command his evangelists in the New Testament to wear anything special. But what he does command is that say is that every child of God is a priest.
Christian who is a priest only offer to God and only the, all of us should be dressed in the garments that God wants us to be dressed in. Well, what are those things? We should be clothed in righteousness, in humility, humility. In, and in forgiveness and in charity. We should be clothed in all wisdom and judgment. We should be clothed in all these spiritual things. That's the spiritual clothing we should put on as priests. It should be pure, like the priest garments were white in the Old Testament. Our lives should be pure. We then as priests wear this, these kind of garments. And and as we're since we're in God's temple as his priests, we only offer the kind of worship that he has said he wants in the way that he said he wants it done as best we can with humility, not the not the uh, lifting ourselves up as we're the ones going to give you the worship. That's what Cain did. And it's a problem. I am not laying any of that on to Laura because she calls and I appreciate her calls and we didn't get a chance to really finish our conversation. Well, now this is. This, I, I hope you'll have understanding, Laura. That I wasn't really trying to cut you off. Well, this is an important point because basically that's one of the things that today I think is being taught very wrongly in other groups. That it, you you need to you need to get something out of this. You need to enjoy this worship. You need to have whatever you desire as part of this. And that's not what the Old well, Testament... You should be the kind of person that enjoys giving God what he wants. What he that's wants. What that's what he's after. Now, I really do want the, I do, really do want the audience to consider this, as we would call it, an argument. An argument today means a dispute, but an argument is a logical chain of thought that I tried to give from Scripture a moment ago. That in the Old Testament, which people go back to to find the mechanical instruments of music in worship, they go always go back to David and say, David had an instrument so I can have an instrument. OK, well, think about that for a moment. David did have instruments, but those were strictly regulated as to how they got where they were in that temple. As to the kind they were, who played them and what they mean. Best and I can tell. Every one of them had to be dedicated with blood before it's ever brought in there. And best I can tell when they were used. Right. Exactly. It, all that was regulated. It wasn't free form. Well, I think today we'll have a jam session for the Lord. They didn't have no jam sessions for the Lord and bring in their stuff from home and use it in the temple. You can say you have freedom in Christ, and you do. You have freedom to do what Christ says. You have freedom within his will. But the point I'm making is that if, if an instrument is going to be brought into the temple of the Lord in the Old Testament, and if they had, so let's say they had a trumpet that was broken in the temple or failed in some way, or or if if I can tell you, Gary, based on the Old Testament law, if they're playing a trumpet and they dropped it and it got a dent in it, that was no longer a trumpet that could be used in the holy temple of God. It was dented, and so they would throw that one away. And then when they brought a new one in, guess what had to happen? It had to be sprinkled. Had to be perfectly fashioned, had to be sprinkled with blood. And so when you come into the when you come into the temple of God today as a, as in the 21st century, the only way that you can get into the temple of God as a Christian and be a Christian is to have your is to be sprinkled by the blood of Christ. We know that you come in contact with the blood of Christ in baptism and you're washed and made clean to be a servant in God's house. OK, sprinkled with blood. Well, there's there's so if no, you want to bring an organ or a drum set in this building and say we're going to worship God with it. I'm going to tell you, you need to sprinkle it with the Christ's blood first. You think you can really take a drum set and dip it in our baptistry and make it holy? 
What? It, no, because it can't do what you can't do what the real worship, the real priest, the real instruments that God wants worship from. It's the human heart. Wood and metal. They're human hearts. That's the parallel. And we live in a spiritual temperament in a better age, as Paul, as Paul, as the writer of Hebrews says, a new and better covenant we live under. Well, there's also a contrast, I think, Mike, between the old and the new. When when is one of the reasons why I see that the in the from the first century on until what about the seventh or eighth century at least there were no instrumental music mechanical instruments used in worship and they were disputed long after that and they were disputed long after that but in Isaiah 66 he says something that's interesting to me and and this is where that I think part of that contrast comes from Isaiah 66 the subject is things are fixing to change with this new system that God's bringing in. And he says, for all those things, this is verse two, I'm starting Isaiah 66, beginning verse two, for all those things my hands have made and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one, I will look on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and on and who trembles at my word. He who kills a bull is as if he slays a man. He who sacrifices a lamb as if he breaks a dog's neck. He who offers a grain offering as if he offers swine's blood. He who burns incense as if he blesses an idol. Now, killing bulls, sacrificing lambs, offering grain offerings, and burning incense were all things commanded under the Old Testament law. And he says, look what he's going to consider those things now. As nothing, or even worse, as worse than nothing. And so there was a contrast particularly made to show this, I think, in the under the new covenant. I, I thought that was an interesting passage. Passage to understand the contrast. So before you go run to justify your instrumental music in worship, and Carrie and I are not against instrumental music. We love instrumental music. Oh, I, I, and worship to God as such being offered. Mike, Mike kids me all the time. I listen to classical music into the in the public worship of God. It's not authorized. Now, for example, Martin Luther. Here's what here's a comment Martin Luther made in one of his commentaries on First Corinthians 14. The church rings with the noise of trumpets, pipes, and dulcimers, and human voices strive to bear their part with them. Men run to the churches to a theater to have their ears tickled. This is the thought of Martin Luther in the 1500s, Adam Clark, the famous Methodist. I believe that David was not authorized by the Lord to introduce the multitude of musical instruments into the divine worship, which we read. And I'm satisfied that his conduct in this respect is most solemnly reprehended by the prophet. I don't know if I agree with that particularly. And I further believe that the use of some instruments of music in the Christian church is without sanction and against the will of God, and that they are subversive to the spirit of true devotion, and that they are sinful. If there was a woe to those who invented instruments of music, as did David under the law, there is no woe cursed. Is there no curse to them who invent them today and introduce them to the Christian church? This is a Methodist. He said, I'm an old man, a minister, and I here declare that I never knew them productive of any good in the worship of God. They have reason to believe that they were productive of much evil and so forth. He goes on to talk about the abuse of music. I register my protest against all such corruptions in the worship of the author of Christianity. He goes on to talk about John Wesley, who was also the 
founder of Methodist, a lover of music, an elegant poet, would ask his opinion of instruments of music being introduced into chapels of the Methodists and said in his terse and powerful manner, I have no objection to instruments of music in our chapels, provided they are neither seen nor heard. That was John Wesley who wrote the famous hymns in our books. When he asked him about instruments of music in Methodist churches, he said, provided they are neither seen nor heard, I have no objection to them. Well, I'd like to go back. Uh, on, on a, I can go on and on with these kind of quotes, but uh, of all these. So the idea that the churches of Christ are just some outlier historically, you know, the Amish of the modern 20s, because we don't have an organ in our church or band is historically not very accurate at all. Well, I keep going back to the, the to the contrast again, and it occurs in Scripture. Basically, I, I read the passage, John 12, 48, about what's going to judge us in the last day. But Jesus quotes Isaiah again, not the same passage that I did, but he says of the scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Correct. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now, if you just go back and look at the first part of what I read in latter, the B section of verse 2, he says, but on this one I will look. This is part of the new. On him who is of a poor and contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. That comes from the heart. Not these outward things that he quotes. He talk, goes on and talks about of the killing of bulls, sacrificing of lambs, the offering of grain offerings, and the burning of incense. That he likens as to nothing, and in one case, the burning of incense. If it blesses an idol, I mean that's worse than nothing. So, so he's changing the emphasis on what we do in worship from what from, we want. From what we want. To what he wants from what was to now what is and so that's and and all of this was made to i keep coming back to the idea that every time you read about singing and psalms it's has behind it the idea of edification and, and talking to one another words words again and they can put music to the words but the words are still that's the only way edification can happen edification can't happen by music i mean you you go to school and you hear some symphony playing and they'll tell you, oh, this is the dance of the fairies. How do they know that? They only know that because the guy that wrote it told them that's what it was. They could never guess that from listening to the music. And you still don't know what the dance of the fairies means. It's You might enjoy it, but it's it's not it's not what it's not like the word of God. The word of God tells me in words that my mind can understand. That's the problem with spiritual, with speaking in tongues that no one can understand. We, it might make us feel good, but there's no edification in that, he says, because we can't know the words. Right. So we, ha we have each person in this assembly, we encourage each person to sing as best they can to according to their will and their ability, their heart, all join in together. And because of the words coming out of their mouth and toward God, 
We offer up praise with our lips to God. Each one does. Speaking to one another. Now, is, that's, as, that's as close as we can get to doing what he says and to speaking to one another, right? Speaking to one another in hymns and hymns and spiritual songs. And and now this is not as precise one, but in Acts 16, it's, it's a single line, verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. They didn't have an organ there. They, they didn't have an organ there. Drum set. If, if they did have some musical instrument, it certainly isn't likely that they would have it in a Philippian, a Roman prison, and they were just sitting. It, it's just every time I come across these things, it just seems like it's aimed at communication. Well, going back to this, and I don't want to, we'll, we'll flip back and forth here a little bit, Gary. I know, I'm not trying I'm to, sorry, I, I keep coming well, I'm back. I'm not trying to change your, at all. I appreciate what you're saying there about that. But when you go back and look at historically, because I think, I think having talked about this for 45, 50 years now, I think people's unstated objection to acapella singing is that nobody else does it. That People are very simple, Gary. It's it's not that they have some uh, good argument in favor of it, that they've just read their Bible so carefully that they're just, no, we got to use a band, a praise team and a band. You can't find those words in the Bible, but that's not the reason that when they come in here, they say, well, what's wrong? Something's wrong here. You all don't have, we've been told something's wrong here. You don't have any statues. There's something wrong. You don't have any crosses in this building. You don't have any gold. You've been told that you don't have any gold up on the walls of this building. So it's not because they've read the Bible. It's because that's what their expectation is. And same thing is true of singing. Well, nobody else does it this way. So you must be wrong. Really? I think that's just historical. Ignorance is the wrong word. Not knowing. Here's a here's a Baptist uh, theologian named Benedict. He says staunch Baptists in former times would as soon have tolerated the Pope of Rome in their pulpits as an organ in their galleries. And yet the, the instrument has gradually found its way among them. How far this modern organ fever will extend among our people and whether it will be on the whole a work of reformation or deformation in their singing service, time will tell. And then another Baptist, or no, Presbyterian, a historian, this is a historian, Gerardo, John Gerardo. He's a historian, he's a president. He says, it has thus been proved in his book by an appeal to historical facts that the church, although lapsing more and more into defection from the truth and into a corruption of apostolic practice, had no instrumental music for 1,200 years after the apostles. And that the Calvinistic Reformed Church ejected it from its services as an element of popery or Roman Catholicism. Even the instrumental music of church, the Church of England had become very nigh to its extrusion from her worship. The historical argument, therefore, combines with the scriptural and the confessional to raise a solemn and powerful protest against the employment of instrumental music by the Presbyterian Church. It is heresy in the sphere of worship. Now, that's a Presbyterian historian saying exactly what we're saying. And so it's not some oddity of some little strange group over on Savona Boulevard. Uh, John Calvin said, musical instruments. Now, you know, John Calvin wasn't a Church of Christ minister, okay? <laughs> Crazy person. 
Musical instruments in celebrating the praise of God would be no more suitable than the burning of incense, the lighting of the lambs, and the restoration of other shadows of the law. The papists, that is the Catholics, therefore, have foolishly borrowed this, as well as many other things from the Jews. Men who are fond of outward pomp may delight in that noise, but the simplicity which God recommends to us by the apostle is far more pleasing. Now that's John Calvin of all people. Here's the music in the Wycliffe Bible Encyclopedia, history, Bible history. There is no record in the New Testament of any use of instruments in musical worship of the church. In this regard, early believers followed the practice of the Hebrew synagogue music, not meaning not the temple music, which was given only to the priestly class, you know, special conditions we talked about. Which was the only commanded they in the temple. followed the synagogue worship. Here is uh, the musical of post-biblical Judaism and the New Oxford Dictionary of Music. The primitive Christian community held the same view as we know from the apostolic and post-apostolic literature. Instrumental music was thought unfit for religious services. The Christian sources are outspoken in their condemnation of instrumental performances. Originally, only song was considered worthy of direct approach to divinity. Now, this is this is just the plain historical documentation that anybody can read about early church music. So all of the appeals that people have to the fact that every every church uses it, we all do it, you guys are crazy, just doesn't hold up under any kind of scrutiny. I could go on, Gary, I have 25 or 30 more of these. Which well, I Hebrews 13, I'm going to read some more scripture, pardon me. Hebrews 13, verse 15, therefore by him, he's talking about Christ, the subject is Christ and what he has done as the high priest. Therefore, by him, let us continually to offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. The fruit of our lips. And, and here's what that's the changes in the sacrifice. Right. Here's what another historical book says. The, is called, the book is called Music in the History of the Western Church. Edward Dickinson. While the Greek and Roman songs were metrical in their, their worship uh, of pagan gods. The Christian Psalms were antiphons, prayers, responses, etc. They were unmetrical, meaning they weren't set to the same kind of music that the pagan songs were. And while the pagan melodies were always sung to an instrumental accompaniment, the church chant was exclusively vocal. But that's hard, that's hard to be any clearer than that in the contrast between early Christian worship and pagan worship. Frank Landon Humphreys on the evolution of church music, another whole book written on this subject historically. One of the features which distinguishes the Christian religion from almost all others is its quietness. It aims to repress the outward signs of inward feeling. The early Christians discouraged all outward signs of excitement and from the very beginning in the music they used, they reproduced the spirit of their religion and inward quietude. All the music employed in the early services was vocal. I said, I go on and on. What does he say? He's making a contrast. What do we see rearing its head in this age of individualism that we have, an age of individual expression? What do we see rearing its head? Loud music with earplugs, the, the, the insistence on expressing what you want to express to God in the way that you want to express it. We see all of this rearing its head in the last couple of centuries as opposed to the first 12 centuries. 
in Christian worship. And now we're pretending what we have today is the way it's always been. It gets me it gets me excited, riled up, whatever you want to call it, on a rant. But I just want people. There are plenty of people, Gary, listening to us today. It may be only three. We hope it's more than three. We probably lost a couple listeners already in this show today. But I don't think those people that are listening that listen to the show are people that just want to do what they want to do and don't care what God says. They wouldn't be listening this long in this show if they did. And so I want them to carefully consider and think about the things that we've said and maybe do some research on their own beyond just the last 150 years. In their in their own denomination, they can go back and find the same things that we're saying. And what I really want them to do is go read the scriptures we've given them. And I think I have, if you want me to list them, I got nine or ten scriptures on worship in the New Testament that involve music that they can read. And then they'll see at least they can say, well, you know, that's different when you when I go to that church over there on Savona Boulevard, that's different, but it's not crazy. And it's not something unheard of from the New Testament. It's not like the Amish driving mule, mule, uh, horse-driven carts around. We're simply going back to what the New Testament says. Well, I keep going back to Matthew 15, 9. In vain they worship me, teaching for doctrines, the precepts of men. Be careful what you're doing if it's not in the scripture. Uh, you wanted to list some, some scriptures. I wanted to list some scriptures. Ephesians 5, 17 through 21. Acts 16:25 that I've read, 1 Corinthians 14:26, Colossians 3:16 and 17 or 16, pardon me, not 17, James 5 and 13, Hebrews 13 and 15. You know, how many is that, Mike? Well, I have I have like nine. Matthew 26:30, they sung a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. That's what sent his disciples. I don't know if you mentioned that. And no. you mentioned Acts 16:25 when they were in jail in Philippi. Right. They sang hymns to the Lord. Romans 15:9. I don't know if we caught that one. I didn't get that. One. Flip over there. You mentioned 1 Corinthians 14:14 14, 14, about singing with understanding. Uh, let me run over to Romans 15:9. And well, in 14:26, he says, "Each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpreter. Let all things be done for edification." Uh, that was the one I looked at in Colossians 3.16. Uh, now, it is mentioned again in Revelations 5, 8 through 12. There's there's several revelations, but these are all highly symbolic. And, and even one is puzzling. There, in, in, in most cases in Revelations, there's a particular group that's singing. Four and 20 elders. Yes. And, and they're sounding. Right. And they're doing it in, in at a certain time. Uh, and here's the one in Romans 15 that and it's a part of a larger context, but he says that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. And he quotes the Old Testament for this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, he said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Praise the Lord. And so that's a reference to the singing. In Romans 15, you mentioned Ephesians 5, 19, yeah. Colossians 3, 6, Hebrews 13, 15, the fruit of our lips, offering up the fruit of our lips to the Lord. James 5, 13, is anyone merry? Let him sing psalms. Mm-hmm. And then several in Revelation, 
Now, the, one of the other one of the things that is off is to be understood in this. I don't think I've got it right here. Maybe maybe it is here. There are a couple of words in the New Testament that refer to music, which are interesting. One of them is ado. That just means to sing in Greek, and it's used in Colossians 3.16, sing and make melody. Ephesians 5.19, sing and make melody. And the word, we get the word ode, like, well, for old people, ode to Billy Joe. Okay. For younger people, ode to my family by the cranberries. Ode, it means a song. And so you sing a song. So we get the English word ode from that. Ado is the Greek word. It's used a few times in the New Testament. Then you have humneo, to sing a hymn. Hebrews 2.12, Mark 14.26, Matthew 26.30, they sang a hymn. Acts 16.25, they were singing a hymn, which means to sing. A hymn is basically a song of praise to God in particular. It, it has to do with the singing, but it has to do also with the general content, we think. There's nothing definitive about that. And then there's solo, P-S-A-L-L-O, and its various forms. It means to pluck to cause, to vibrate, to make melodies, things. So in Greek, it was used like to pluck your beard, to pluck um, to pluck fruit off a vine. You kind of have that twang, you know, the pulling and the snapping. Uh, it's used to other to pluck other things. It's also used to pluck strings on an instrument. So it means that it came to mean, by the time of the New Testament, you'll read the history of it, it came to mean to sing or to make melody. It sometimes is used in in reference to it used to the original usage of the word or one of the older usages was to play on an instrument. By New Testament times, Greek scholars say it had come to mean just to sing with the vocal cords, as it were, with the heart to make to strum the instrument of the heart. And you have it in Romans 15, 9, James 5, 13, Ephesians 5, 19, 1 Corinthians 14, 15. These are all some of the usages of those words. So you, you can't just look up music or singing and you won't, you might not find all of them, but there's three uh, that you do find there. It's interesting in Revelation, Revelation five and eight, how symbolic this is. He says uh, the quote from that passage in verse eight is now when the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, Notice this, each having a harp and the golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Are we bringing over golden bowls of incense? Yes. If you want to bring over the literal instruments, you got to bring over the the literal bowls of incense. incense. That's my point. Well, and he says it's having a harp and golden. It's like the harp and the golden bowls, which are representative of the past, are now representing the prayers of the saints. It, it, it's back to what I was saying about yeah. this is that before we br- we bring yes we bring over the harp and it's the human voice the human heart is the instrument and guess what else we bring over we bring over the golden bowls of incense today which is what the prayers of the saints so yes in the spiritual way we we have the golden bowls of incense and we have the instruments brought into the church in a spiritual fulfillment, and we don't go back and bring over the. Because if, if you here you got literal circumcision in the old covenant. Uh, now you, you got circum- that over. No, you got circumcision of the heart. Of the heart, Sabbath keeping, incense, infant members, polygamy, and, and uh, physical. T- you don't bring animal sacrifice over just because they had. I don't hear people arguing 
It's interesting. When you bring up animal sacrifices, you'll hear them. Uh, they'll say, oh, no, no, we don't bring that over because we have the sacrifice of Christ, the spiritual sacrifice, right? And so but when I say, oh, here's a mutual instrument, oh, no, you got to bring that over. And you got to have the harp and the lyre and the uh, yeah, but look tambourine. At, look, you got to bring that over. Yeah, I go back to Why Isaiah. Why leave one behind and not bring it over? I'd go back to Isaiah 66. Look at the contrast. What he says, he who kills a bull is if he slays a man. Gary, our time is gone. You aren't going to bring that stuff over. Thank you for listening today. We, we did it again. It. Sorry we ran up on the time. Yep. I got, UPS I out. Me and I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Is CBS News on the hour presented by Indeed.com.